Um, I don't know how many of you have ever had the experience. Um, you've heard the phrase that it was so dark I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. you seen that? I don't know how many of you have ever had the experience that you've actually been in a real environment other than maybe, you know, going in a room in your house and shutting the doors and turning all the lights off for a minute and going, man, I couldn't even see the hand in front of my face. But like, I mean like a different environment that you weren't in control of. I wonder if you've ever been in an environment where you, it was so dark you couldn't see um, your hand in front of your face. I can remember um, an environment that I was in like that several years ago. Um, both of our boys are type 1 diabetics, so when they go on trips, I, ha- I have to go I've had to go in the past and be support for them. And so um, our youth group does a backpacking trip, and uh, I was going with them. It's, uh, uh, I was told a mile in, a 10-mile hike, and a mile out. And I thought, well, um, if I can just go in with them, spend the first night, get them settled, I'll hike back out that short mile, and I'll let them, if I can get them started, good, it'll work. So I did that. I'd never been back. I grew up in the city. How many of you grew up in the city? You grew up in the city? I grew up in the city. See, I didn't tromp around in the woods and stuff. We didn't do that. Like, we avoided that on purpose. So I grew up in the city. I know nothing about the woods. And so I had like a school backpack. You know what I'm talking about? Like you bring your lunch in with a sleeping bag that wouldn't quite stay connected to it. And I hiked in and I got there. And I'm kind of never been out there before. It was out in the Talladega forest. And I'm fishing my way through there thinking you know, this isn't too bad. I'll, I'll have to hike back out in the morning by myself, but that's not a big deal. As we got there and got settled in and it got dark, it dawned on me that the only way I could get up the next morning, which was Sunday morning, and there was nobody we had that could, that could speak for me that morning. I had to come back. The only way I could get up early enough to get back in time to go to church was to hike out in the dark. The sun wasn't going to be up yet. And as that ominous reality set in on me, I thought, Jesus, what have I done? I, I, like, I don't know anything about the woods. I don't know anything about how to hike out here. And the guy said, oh, it's no big deal. Like, do you have a headlamp? And I said, like a coal miner? I don't know what you're talking about, like a headlamp. I got a little flashlight, you know, click, 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 like this. And so I started making myself a spear because I was thinking, I don't know. You know, I don't know. Animals could attack me. I don't know. So about 530 the next morning, I got up, and, you know, it was, in the, it was dark. And uh, I unzipped the tent. And it was the thickest, creepiest fog I've ever seen in my life. Like, we hiked across a creek to get to the site, just down the hill. Couldn't even see the creek. Could hardly see out the tent. And I'm out there, and I could feel my skin. You ever heard the phrase skin crawling? My skin crawled, like, like, a, like you'd ruffled a sheet. It was crawling. And I got out there. The whole camp's dark and quiet. I get out with my spear. You know, it's like Lord of the Flies. I got my little flashlight, my backpack. And I come hiking back. I get midway across the creek that half the group fell in on the way in. I'm trying to hike across in the dark. And I hear coyotes, you know, howling. Did I tell you I was raised in the city? We didn't have coyotes. I don't know about that. All our dogs were in fences. And, and, and these things are howling and howling and howling. And I'm just thinking, I, I can't do this. And, and little did I know, it wasn't really a mile. It was 1.8 tenths of a mile. How many you know that's two? Right? That's two miles. And so I'm hiking out, and I get to the middle of that creek, and I hear the coyotes, and I could feel my heart, I could hear it, like my head's throbbing, and I just thought, it's over. I'm done. I'm going back to the tent. Like, church going to work it out. Cell phone coverage didn't, I thought, they'll have the you know, National Guard after me or something, but I don't know what to tell you. I can't go. 
and my legs locked. I mean, I w- it, was, it was terrible. And there was no, it was cloudy nights, so there were no stars or moon. When I tell you I couldn't see my hand in front of my face, I'm telling you, I could not see my hand in front of my face. And so I thought, I'm just going to keep inching toward the other side of the creek, and if I hear the coyotes again, I'm done. So I kept inching on the other side of the creek, and I got to the other side, and, I, and, and it was fall, so the leaves were about a foot deep. And I'm just crunching them. And as I'm going through there, I, I got my light on, and I thought, well, I better conserve my battery, because I don't know, you know how, how, how long it'll last. I can't get out of here without light. So I turn it on and look, you know, then I turn it off. Then I turn it on and look, then I turn it off. And, and, then, and then I turned it on one time, and I saw two red eyes looking at me across through the valley. And I went, oh, Jesus, that, 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 that's not how I was raised. <laughs> you know, I don't know what that is. And out of panic, I turned the light off because I didn't want it to see me. And then I went, I don't know where it's at now. <laughs> like, it could be running at me. Like, why didn't I, you know, hold it on there? And I get about halfway through there, and... Um, I turn my light on and it starts flickering. And I went, no, 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 not now, not now. So I turned my light off because it started dying and I would go as far as I could and I would tell by the crunch of the leaves if I was on the path or not because if they had been beaten down with people, you know, it was probably right. If it got too thick, I was probably... So I got lost about five times and backtracked. And, um, and then we got to a little valley where somebody thought a real cute idea. If you've never been hiking before, they have these little blazes on trees that kind of tell you you're going the right way. Somebody thought it'd be funny to go and paint about 100 trees with the blaze on it down in this little swamp valley. And so I hit my flashlight, and everywhere I look is the trail marker for the way that I should go. And I went, I don't, I don't know, you know what's going to happen now. So finally... I, I come out of there. You know, I don't have any food or water. I got nothing with me. I thought, if I get lost, I'm probably going to die. And, and I, I finally, about daybreak, break the, the, the tree line, and I hit the gravel road, and I made my way down to the car, and I went, that will never happen to me again. <laughs> I guarantee it. But I, I will tell you this. It's about the most frightened I've been in my adult life. And part of the reason why was the darkness. But you and I have moments of life and seasons of life where we go through darkness. Not physical darkness, but struggle or emotional darkness. And King David, in Psalm 23, um, he wrote about it. He went through darkness and he wrote about it. Would you just read again with me Psalm 23 out loud? And we'll read up to verse 4. We've covered 1 through 3 now. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley, the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What is the valley of the shadow of death? The valley of the shadow of the death, although we oftentimes recite Psalm 23 in a funeral, and that's completely appropriate, Psalm 23 was never used in funerals until the 20th century. For thousands of years, it was never read at funerals because the valley of shadow of death doesn't describe actual death. In the Hebrew language, which the Old Testament is written in, you get a clearer meaning sometimes if you can trace back an English word to the the language it was written in. The, The phrase shadow of death is one word in Hebrew. And it means deep darkness. It doesn't mean death. It doesn't mean transitioning from life to heaven 
It means deep darkness. It describes a time filled with anxiety and dread. And it's kind of like um, the day when your employer says, you know, you're done, clean your desk out. You're done working here. Or maybe the doctor looks at you and says, your baby's never going to be normal. They're always going to have this problem. Maybe when you find drugs in your teenage son's room or your teenage daughter says, I'm pregnant. These are difficult times. Maybe the doctor uses that word that you've dreaded all your life and hoped it would never come to you, and he says, you've got cancer. Maybe it's when your spouse says, this marriage is over. These are gut-wrenching moments of darkness that I can only think about as a dark valley. In Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan, he called it darkest pitch. Darkest pitch. It's a time of loneliness and exhaustion and despair abandonment. It's what Jesus felt when he was on the cross and he looked up at heaven and he said, in one of his darkest moments, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did you leave me here on this cross to die alone? And we oftentimes in American Christianity are surprised by these feelings and these realities because we've been taught to believe that if we're on the right path with God, that it'll translate into a life where we're inoculated from sickness and disease and trouble and trial. Our kids will turn out fine. We'll have nice clothes. We'll have plenty of money in the bank. And we'll have a leisurely retirement. And when, when we confuse the American dream with the Christian faith, we're, we're blown away when we walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness. Everybody who expects to live a, a fully satisfying life in this world is set up for a lot of disappointment. If I'm honest in my life, I've cried more than I've laughed. I wish this verse were not in Psalm 23. Because I'd like to do Psalm 23 and just do the first part and the last part and not the middle. But it has to be in Psalm 23 because it's in life. There are valleys in life. So it has to be there. So if the valleys have to be there, what can we learn from the valley of darkness? Let me give you four things this morning. Number one, we learn in the valley of darkness, God becomes real. There's an interesting grammatical shift in this chapter that I, I don't know if you've noticed before, but King David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And then he says a lot of these he sentences. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores my soul. He leads me beside quiet waters. He guides me for his name's sake. But when David gets to the valley of darkness, the he shifts to you. Look at it again in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Not he. But you are with me, your rod, your staff. He stops talking about God and he starts talking to God. That's what happens in the valley. You stop talking about God and you start talking to God. You stop quoting all the answers you think you have. Clichés don't work. And little nice little poetry and songs and whatever, they don't work. And the things that you thought you had all figured out and all squared away don't work. And it starts to sound more like, oh God, where are you? 
How long are you going to let this go on? How long is this going to last? How long am I going to read about promises in the Bible that haven't yet manifested themselves in my life? That's what it sounds like. I'm not talking about God anymore. I'm starting to talk to, you know, it's, oh, God. Sometimes those prayers are charged with anger or accusations or frustration. And you know, when King David goes through the valley of darkness, he never talks about God again the rest of Psalm 23, except the very, very last verse. It's always, your rod, your staff, you anoint my head with oil. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's a big shift. Once you meet God in the darkness, you're changed. Richard Foster said it like this, God becomes a reality when he becomes a necessity. I remember after... uh, Hurricane Katrina, our first night uh, back in our home, I didn't sleep much because <laughs> the whole area had been devastated. I mean, you know, 100 square miles uh, was just white. Over 2,000 people were dead. It was like something I'd never seen. And you can imagine, you have a hard time sleeping. And so I got up early that next morning to to just go pray and say, i, I got to get my head straight. And I woke up before sunrise, and I went out on my back porch. And I just, it, it, I think for the first time, so much of it was evacuating and protecting and moving and all this, it was the first time I'd actually stopped and begin to grasp what had happened. And as I sat there on my back porch, I began to just kind of cry out to God and say, God, I'm in way over my head. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. If I'm going to do this, you're going to have to help. Because I, I, I got nothing. And, and immediately, immediately, the Holy Spirit met me on the back porch before sunrise, and he gave me five things. I'm talking about as clear as day. He gave me five things to begin to pray. And I began to pray through those five things. And the Holy Spirit met me on that back porch that morning and throughout the next several weeks in such real and tangible ways. And he guided me and he comforted me in ways that I'll really never forget. When God becomes, when God becomes real, God becomes real when there's nowhere else to turn. And I don't have anywhere else to turn. So one of the things we learn in the valley of darkness is God becomes real number two. In the valley of darkness, you gain clarity. What do you gain clarity on? You gain clarity on two things. And they're actually the two most important things in the whole world. God and people. You gain clarity on God and people. (laughs) You get real clear about who God is and about who people are. It's one thing to say, I trust God. Everybody says, you know, it's on our currency. In God we trust. It's one thing to say it, it's another thing to have no choice. But to say, I got to trust God because it's all I have left. There are no other answers, there are no other resources. And when you meet God in the darkness, you move from correct theology to correct experience. And there's a difference in knowing the truth and experiencing it. And when you live in the valley, when you meet God in the valley, you experience it and you know God is sufficient because he's proven it to you. 
You had no choice but to lean on him and trust him, and he shined through. It's the kind of clarity that Isaiah got in Isaiah 6 when he said, I see the Lord high and lifted up in the temple. He, he saw him, and a lot of things changed. But you also get, gain clarity about people. You start to lower your expectations on people because you realize that we tend to expect too much of people. Husbands expect too much of wives, and wives expect too much of husbands, and children expect too much out of their parents, and parents expect too much out of their kids, and pastors expect too much from their church, and churches expect too much from their leaders. And once you meet God in the darkness, you're not skeptical of people, nor are you shocked when they fail, but you've become free to love them and serve them as they are and expect nothing from them in return. You ever heard somebody say, boy, I'd go to church, but all them people at church are hypocrites. That's a person that's never met God in the darkness. Never met God in the darkness. Because they're still looking for people to meet some kind of need inside of them. Maybe somebody's looked at you or somebody you know and said, how could they do that? They're supposed to be a good Christian. That's somebody that's never met God in the darkness. Because when you meet God in the darkness, your expectation on people goes down. These unrealistic expectations are in our lives because we're still looking for a husband or wife or pastor or singer or artist or leader or friend or whoever to meet a God and a, a need inside our soul that only God can meet. And we release people of the expectation that they're ever going to be able to satisfy that. And we say, God, in you and you alone. Do I find my, is my soul satisfied? Are my needs met? I, I, here's a little um, thought that you could take home with you today. Think about it like this. We expect too much of people and too little of God. We expect too much of people and too little of God. We expect God to be more like people and we expect people to be more like God. And boy, when you meet God in the darkness, you gain some clarity and realize that neither one of them are really true. And you start to get things back in the right perspective. Psalm 23 gives us a reason that we are to fear no evil in the dark valley. Let's read it one more time. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, I fear no evil for you are with me. You help me. You comfort me. You guide me. You sustain me. You meet my needs. You are my resource. You are my joy. You are my peace. You are my counselor. You are my comforter. You are my all in all. It's a whole different thing. Then you're free to love people as they are because none of us are ever going to be God. And none of us are ever going to have the ability to meet anybody else's need the way that God does. And that brings us right to point number three. In the valley of darkness, you're invited to meet God in a deeper way. In a deeper way. King David declared as only King David could, you are with me because he'd met God in the darkness and he had learned that God is with him. Everybody can proclaim how great God is when everything's going right. But when things go bad, 
when things don't work out, when you suffer, when you hurt, when you feel empty, when you feel lonely, when you feel desperate, when you seem to not be able to find God and no matter what you do, he just doesn't seem to respond the way that you thought he would. But here's what scripture promises. In Exodus 33, God told Moses, my presence will go with you. In Genesis 28, he told Jacob, I'm with you. In Joshua 1, he said, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. In Isaiah 41, he says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. In Matthew 28, Jesus told his disciples, I will be with you even until the end of the world. You don't really meet God in the darkness until all you have left is the sound of his voice and the knowledge that he's close by. And that's when you begin to live by faith and not by feelings. Because your feelings will mislead you. And if you're waiting to detect God's presence and work only in your feelings, you're going to miss a lot of what he's doing. And that's when we meet him in faith. Job, outside of Jesus, Job probably suffered more than any person in the entire Bible. But Job met God in the darkness, and after he met God in the darkness, here's what he wrote. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. My ears have heard of you. I heard about you. My grandmother told me you were real. My uncle was a pastor. I grew up in church. I went to kids camp. I went to vacation Bible school. I learned my memory verse. Whatever. Whatever you do in in Southern Christianity. You know, I did the things. But when you see God, when you see him in the darkness, when you meet him in the valley, something changes inside you. Charles Spurgeon, you probably never heard of him. He was uh, one of the greatest um, pastors, one of the greatest preachers in, the modern, in modern history. He preached in London, and he grew incredible church in that time, thousands of people. Most churches on the earth were small and rural, and he had this urban, metropolitan uh, congregation. And um, he said one Sunday when he was preaching, some of you are, have become offended because I won't use science or philosophy more in my sermons. I won't address, I won't, I won't talk about science and philosophy in my sermons. And he said, see this woman here on the front row? She's a widow. And she lost her only son a few months ago. Now I want somebody to stand to their feet this morning and tell me what science and philosophy have to say to her. Nobody stood. So he he went again. I'm asking you this morning to stand to your feet and tell this woman what science and philosophy have to say to her. And after a long pause, he said, if science and philosophy have nothing to say to her, then let's open up the Word of God and let's read the precious promises of Jesus Christ. Why? When you go into the valley of darkness... You're invited to meet God in a deeper way. Number four, and thank God for this one, the valley of darkness will not last forever. Can we, can we look at verse four? I know we've looked at it over and over one more time. There's so much in it. 
even though I walk through. I'm not building a house down here. <laughs> I'm not looking for real estate. I'm not settling. I'm not staying. I'm walking through. Thank God. I'm walking through. <laughs> The valley of darkness doesn't last forever. I'm walking through this valley. Every valley has an end. And if you just keep following the shepherd, you don't have to be afraid of the valley of darkness. Because he'll lead you through it. Last year, I have a, a friend, a pastor friend, minister friend, who called me. We, we hadn't talked in a few years, and we sort of caught up a little bit. And his wife was a... a just an angel. She's a great lady. She was a classically trained pianist and played beautiful music, made CDs, and she was just a joy to be around. She got a, a terrible, um, some kind of cancer, and it just wrecked her life and eventually took her life. And uh, I had heard of that, but he and I hadn't spoken since then. And they went through some really really bad times and uh, he asked me you know how how we were doing and I updated him on our life and he said I want to share some advice with you that somebody shared with me when we were at the lowest point I said what is it Jim he said when you're walking through hell keep walking when you're walking through hell keep walking because you're walking through. You're not here to stay. Jesus said it like this. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. There will be an end. There will be an end. Would you stand with me this morning? Psalm 23 has so many powerful things to say to us. I want to ask if you'd close your eyes and just open your heart for a minute. If you're online, our prayer team is there and ready to, ready to pray with you. You know, today you might say, I'm in a valley. I'm in a, maybe it's not a season. Maybe it's only a moment of darkness. Maybe it's just a time where you don't know what to do and you don't know how to find God and you don't know how to resolve what you're going through. Can I just tell you, the blinding truth of Psalm 23, 4 is that God says, I am with you. David said, I fear no evil, for you are with me. There's only one cure for fear, really, and it's the presence of God. It's the faithful and gentle and steady presence of God. Sometimes you feel it and sometimes you don't. But the truth is, His presence is always with you. This morning, if you're online and you need prayer, I want you just to jump into the comment section and say, maybe you want to list your need. Maybe you want to say, I, I need prayer today. I'm stuck. I'm in a valley. I need help. I need God. I need God's presence. Just however you want to type it, slide in there. We're going to sing a song together in a minute, but before we do... Some of you in the room, you need prayer. You just need prayer. If that's you, would you just lift your hand and say, 
you know, I'm kind of in a valley right now. I'm kind of in a spot. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's next. I don't know. Maybe you're like I was in Hurricane Katrina. I'm over my head. This, this kind of life we've been living, this season's been tough. I guess we're all kind of in a valley in a way as a society. But if you just say, today I need prayer, why don't you just lift your hand and say, I need prayer today. I need prayer today. I need God's presence. I need to know. I need to meet him again. I need to meet him again. I need to know he's here. I need his assurance. I need his power. I need his presence. And in a few minutes, our prayer team's going to come and pray with you. But here's what I want us to focus on. The only cure for fear is God's presence. The only sustaining grace that we have in the valley is that God is with us. And he will continue to lead and continue to guide. So, Holy Spirit, we ask you this morning to lead and to guide. We ask you today, Lord, to reach out and wrap your arms around the hurting one, the lonely one, the bruised one, the rejected one, the one who's overwhelmed or overloaded, the one who doesn't know what to do. God, reach out as a good shepherd as only you can and let us meet you today in the light. Let your light shine even in the darkest valley. And let this be a revelation moment of your goodness and grace. We thank you for it today. Our worship team is going to come and sing a song that you know. And as they sing it, what I want you to do is just lift your eyes up to God and worship him with all your heart.